uh, uh, stranger things that um, you know they're, they're upside down really what what Jesus was cursed with that by the way and his version is way better than the stranger things version if you've ever watched that but um, but Jesus does here this time he's going to talk about I love my uh, the biblical character in scripture that carries my name uh, or well, I carry his name I guess it's Thomas the Bible says he's going to carry uh, his name the same as he went into the city and he turned the city upside down that's in Acts and it's a wonderful story but I, I want you to think about how Jesus came into this earth where Jesus walked this earth he didn't come in and he didn't come with armor he didn't come with guns he didn't come with tanks he didn't come with angels and legions of angels to come and say this is what it's going to be I'm going to force you into this Jesus did exactly opposite of what everyone else said it should be all of the Roman uh, all of the Jewish citizens were looking for a military leader to come in and overthrow the Roman government. They were looking for a savior who was going to come and lead them in battle to win these battles. And Jesus comes and he says, no, this is not how we're going to do things. So David becomes exiled. He's driven out for a crime. He wanted to be a better participate. Do you understand that when Jesus says, come to me, so you can participate or be part of the kingdom, he's not just offering a set, oh, here, it would be good for you to come. No, Jesus is saying, in order to be in my kingdom, this is how you must live. We're going to get into this in a moment because that's what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are, this is how we must live to be in the kingdom of God. If you want to operate in the kingdom of God, if you want to walk in the kingdom of God, then you have to be like the king who's in the kingdom of God, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was a servant. We talked about that last week, so he calls us to be a servant. But how do we become a servant? Jesus didn't call us to be followers of him and then just idly sit on the sideline waiting for things to happen. He, in fact, asked us to get active and be involved in his kingdom, to do things, to say certain things, to walk in certain ways and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew 28 is such an important, set, uh, important message because it commands you and I to go out into the world as Jesus' command for us to move forward. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading in the very first uh, 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And while you turn there, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us and bless this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the amazing grace that you give to us, grace that we don't deserve. We're thankful that you give us an invitation to serve in your kingdom, to be part of your kingdom. And we're also understanding that you give us commands and rules and things that we should do to live in your kingdom. Things that we will undoubtedly be blessed if we walk in those ways. But you also give us a choice, Lord Jesus. You give us a choice to walk in those ways or not. You don't force us to walk in your kingdom. You don't force us to act any certain way. You just invite us to do that. 
that with that invitation comes a blessing that you give. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of those things, all of those invitations. We ask you today, Lord, as we read through the Beatitudes and we talk about how to be a kingdom servant in your kingdom, may you guide us and direct us. May you open our eyes today to see not only your presence, but also to see your ways, your wisdom, your truth of the things and how we should face our life that we walk today. Lord, help us in this place. Forgive us of our sins and help us to walk in your ways. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and open our eyes and our ears and our senses so that we can understand what you would say to us through these scriptures. Lord, I pray that my preparation and what I have done to prepare for today is you, Father. Let your words be spoken, not mine. And help us to serve you in everything that we do and say today and every day. And we'll be sure to give you the glory, honor, and praise because you deserve that and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and he said of his disciples, turn to the mount. As I like to do, I like to throw in a little bit of uh, history here, if you will, for a moment. But if you go to this very place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, do you know there was no microphones there? Uh, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, when Jesus gave this sermon, there was no microphones, there was no, uh, there's no speakers, there's no auditory enhancement. Is that the, is that the right word? Auditory enhancement uh, sounds good. If it's not, so we'll go with it. But there's none of this that happened. They, it's interesting to me that if you go to the place where Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount was spoken to, if you just stand on that very mountain where Jesus spoke, people at the sea can hear you. This is hundreds of yards away. It's just something about the uh, topography of the land and the water that reflects the voice coming off. It was amazing. But Jesus chose this spot. And I think it's interesting. He chose this spot because he wants everyone in that crowd to hear what he's about to say. This was his direct reply. This wasn't that Jesus, uh, I understand and know, and hopefully that you're understanding and knowing too, that Jesus doesn't just haphazardly pick this location to give this message. This was something that he has chosen. He knows by sharing this message at this location that everyone that comes will be able to hear him. This is the beginning of his ministry. This is like his very first message. This is his message that everyone's going to be hearing and everyone's going to be grabbing at it. So he wants them to hear. And what he's about to say is some of the most groundbreaking things that these people will ever hear. It'll also be groundbreaking to us if we would abide by what he says in these things today. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he came and sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed 
that I knew when I was reviling you and persecuting you and you were all odds of evil against and falsehood on my account. Rejoice and be glad for you, your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What I want to understand here is that Jesus repeats some phrases here. And you will see that there's a couple of things that he's repeating, and we're going to get, we're going to actually take a deep dive into some of these. But I want to just jump off here and let's start with the very first one in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus begins by saying every single one of these phrases, blessed are. And so what he is saying is he's going to the people and saying, if you want to be blessed, this is what you do. The reason why he says this is because the people at this time are looking to receive a blessing from someone. They're looking, they go into the temple for a blessing. They collect tithes to the temple to receive that blessing. They bring their, their dairy cows and their goats and their lambs, all of these things to the temple to receive that blessing. But God says to them, you don't have to go to the temple to receive that blessing. Jesus is saying this, blessed are. A lot of times what we find in this word blessed is whether what we often hear is that there's not really a good English word that, that holds up for this word, right? Blessed, I should say blessing is the English word. There's not a really good, uh, I mean, blessing is a wonderful word and when we hear about this, but we often think about, you know, when I hear the word blessing, I think of uh, Talladega Nights. When you say blessing, dear nine and a half pound baby Jesus, and I, you know, I think about that, right? Or I think about, uh, I think about the, uh, what is it, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. When you say the blessing, blessing, and grace, yeah, we say grace. Grace, you know, good for years, right? I think about those things, and, and but to be honest with you, the word blessed here that Jesus is using means something much greater than what we could ever understand. The word blessing and bless doesn't do comparison to what this word actually is meaning. What Jesus is actually saying to us is not only to be blessed, but he's saying, receive great comfort and care. Receive all peace and all of these things that you could ever need. I've never felt like you're at odds with the world and everything is just going against you and, and or if somebody were praying for Corey today because some of their friends, you know, just letting the battle come in. What Jesus was telling these people is that it's not just merely the fact that you're blessed. I'm blessed, right? Blessed are, right? That's what the, uh, the Salem people say. Blessed are, blah, blah, blah. Well, it means that they're, they're not really, they're thinking down upon you. They're not really saying bless your heart. Bless your heart, right? But the truth of the matter is, is this word that Jesus uses for bless is much greater than that. It's all peace and comfort and ever, it's the greatest amount of, of peace and comfort and relaxation that you can receive. What Jesus is saying is that it's not just simply a word that when you follow these things, you will be highly blessed. And I pause to use that word because I, again, have a hard time thinking of another English word to replace that with. But you're going to be, you're going to receive the grace of God. You're going to receive all of the things that the Lord has for you by using these words. But we have to understand that the Beatitudes, if you were, the, uh, the very things that we're talking about here, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, is a kingdom ethic for a kingdom people. 
This was God. This was the how have you sped through work? How have you sped to live within the kingdom of God? This wasn't just a merely a statement to Jesus. This wasn't like he said, thank you for uh, baptizing me today, quite bad. Let's be honest. This wasn't just a normal service, a normal sermon that you're going to hear from Pastor Jason. No, this was Jesus speaking to the people and saying, this is how you shall now live. Wonderful book by Chuck Colson, if you ever read it. And so here's what I want to understand. This was Jesus saying, this is the kingdom of. This is how you are supposed to operate. This is how, when you follow me, these are the things that should you should participate in and do. And it's no surprise that the very first line starts with poor in spirit. But before we begin, let's just look at this. It's a this line, this this passage in Matthew chapter five is repeated in Luke chapter six. It's the same Beatitudes. There's a few words that are changed, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, Jesus in Matthew, Matthew reports of Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke says, Blessed are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Either way, you're talking about a wonderful kingdom of Jesus and kingdom of God that's coming to this earth. Jesus' message is not for the crowds of this world. It is for those who are willing to sit at the feet of Jesus to hear his words, to achieve the effort of the kingdom. Men and women, men and women all of us together, must willingly submit to the full teaching of Jesus. And it starts here with the Beatitudes. Yes, I did say Jesus. But it starts with this first word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, when we think about being poor, none of us like that. I don't want to think about being poor, right? I don't want to go to the grocery store and say, I don't, I can't buy, I can't buy the steak. I don't want to buy the hot dogs because I'm poor, right? I don't like thinking about being poor. No one likes being poor. So why would Jesus start the kingdom ethic, the Beatitudes, with this very first word, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because there's this amazing thing when we talk about being poor in spirit. It's not being financially poor here. We're not talking about the dollar bills here. We're talking about something else. When Jesus says that he calls us to be poor in spirit, what he's really saying is that for us to be a servant in the kingdom of God, we must learn to be poor in our spiritual nature. Why does Jesus want us to be poor in our spiritual nature? He wants us to be poor because we need something greater than what we have today. We lack the spiritual nature that Jesus has for us. And so when he says to be poor in spirit, what he's actually saying is that when we are poor, this past uh, week we, we went to um, Cleveland and we were uh, downtown Cleveland on West 4th Street. If you've ever been down there, there's a wonderful barbecue place called West uh, Mabel's Barbecue, uh, Martha Simon. And we took um, Leah and her mom, Leah's mom, is uh, visiting Leah this week from Norway. And so we took her to dinner downtown. And we walked into the restaurant, had a wonderful dinner. Uh, I walked away with some brisket and some pulled pork that I was so looking forward the next day to have for lunch. And we come out of the uh, restaurant, and we're walking down uh, West 4th Road, and West 4th in Cleveland, it's a closed road, and these lights are going over the road, and all those things. And we're walking on, and this gentleman comes up beside me, and I know immediately what he's going to ask for. He's a 
and I am they, whatever you want to call someone who needs money. And so he comes and he says, do you have any money? I literally did not have any money. I, I honestly did not carry cash into downtown Cleveland. That's just something I do not do. So I have no cash with me. And I watch, and, and as he's watching, he's like, where are we from? And I said, oh, we're from uh, the town of Van Orr. Oh, that's not too far away. Well, we're having a conversation. And he looks at me and he says, well, he said, you know, this is my home that I'm carrying on my back. And I was just wondering if you have a few dollars that I can go and get something to eat. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't have any cash on me at all. You don't have any cash? You just came from Naples. Don't you have any cash? No, sir, I don't have any cash on me. I said, but what I do have, you can have. And I said, would you like my leftover brisket and pulled pork? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, if you're really hungry and you're really seeking to receive money for food, this is some really good food that just came from a, a nice restaurant that you can have. And he looked at me and he goes, that's not what I want. And he turns around and walks away. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I, I get my brisket and, and pulled pork. And I'm, I'm walking down the street. And what do you know? There's a gentleman right beside that comes over and goes, I heard what you said. I'll eat it. It's the only thing I could have. It's only, it'll be my first meal I had today. I said, here you go. You can have it. That's being poor. When you're poor enough to take someone's leftovers from a restaurant, that's being poor. But you know what? He wasn't picky about what he was going to get. He just wanted whatever I could give to him. See, the truth of the matter is when Jesus says to us that we are called to be poor in spirit, what he's actually saying to us is that when we desire to have something greater, when our desire is so much more than just a typical way of life that we desire to have him, when our spirit nature and we know that it's poor and we desire and we need something greater than us, that's when we become blessed. That's when we receive the blessing of Jesus. That's when he comes and he says, not only will you be blessed, but you'll receive the kingdom of heaven because you're in that place. This is the state of the state of place that we need to be in every single day. Jesus calls us to be poor in spirit so that he can fulfill the riches of our needs in this place, in this time, right here and now. But it causes us to stop and say, how am I poor in spirit? See, too often what happens is that we are, we allow, I should say, our pride to get in the way. We allow our thoughts to get in the way. We begin to think that we know better than God, maybe not purposefully. I don't know that anyone in this room, or hopefully no one in this room would say, I know better than God purposefully. But what we do is we allow the thoughts of God to cast away from us because our desires don't cast on Him. Our desires cast on something else. The riches of this world, the things that we need, our own self-being, our own desires, the things that we want. And so we find ourselves at odds with being poor in the Spirit because we fill those poor thoughts with riches of this world instead of riches of that world. And God calls us to really become that servant, to really become poor, to really become in that place where we need to face and understand who He is. To be poor in spirit. See, to be poor in spirit isn't a bad thing. It's a great thing when your eyes are focused on Jesus Christ. When you desire Him more than anything else, 
when you consider him and say, I'm willing to go the long haul. I'm willing to do whatever it's going to take to receive the blessing from God. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to be blessed by God. And so therefore, I am poor in spirit. Because really, honestly, the world wants to fill us with all of these other things. They tell us what we should be filled with. They tell us all the spiritual things that we should be saying. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus who wants us to be and have our eyes focused on him. The greatest example I know, and I, I, I spent some time this week trying to think into myself, how can I accurately display this, and how can I accurately talk about each one of these without taking up several weeks, without going through all of these, and I realized that I can't go through every single one of them in great detail. But what I can do, and what I begin to understand, is that I begin to put this chart together here that's behind me, and I begin to think about this thing, so I would say, okay, what is God asking us to do, the characteristic if you will, and then what is the blessing that we receive from him? And so as I begin to look at this, I begin to see some interesting things. The very first thing it says, we talked about was poor in spirit. What's the blessing we get from being poor in spirit? We get the kingdom of heaven. The very next characteristic that God asks us to do is to mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you understand what that mourning means? Jesus does cover those who mourn the loss of a loved one. Let me be very clear with that, okay? Uh, Jesus wants to comfort those who are, have lost someone. But this morning that Jesus is talking about is mourning the sin in your life. This morning that he's talking about is not the mourning of a lost loved one. It's the loss of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is that when we mourn, when we mourn the loss of our, when we mourn our sin, when we say, I am such a sinful person and I'm in a state of, uh, of mourning, then he can come in and he can bless us. He can help us. He can walk with us. He can show us the way. One of the most amazing things I did was uh, participated in a, a day of mourning a few years ago. Uh, the organization that we're closest, that I'm closest tied with called Harvest Net, uh, did a day of mourning. Uh, and it's a Jewish... Uh, a Jewish day of mourning, atonement, and what we did was we spent the full day just praying to God and asking Him to forgive our land, to forgive us for our sins, forgive us of those things. And it was the most amazing day when you do that. When you just pause and you ask the Lord, listen, the Lord is great, and He's awesome, and He loves you, and He wants to encourage you, and He wants to lift you up, and He wants to build you up. But sometimes we just have to spend a day where we stop and say, Lord, I'm such a sinful person, and I need to mourn over my sin. And I need to stop here, and I need to ask. Jesus says that if we mourn our sin, if we are mourning, that He will give us comfort. The very next thing is meekness. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness doesn't mean to offer, again, this is the upside down world, right? The upside down world would tell us, our, our world today tells us not to be poor, that we're to be rich, rich in ourselves, rich in our own beliefs, rich in everything that we say is right. Not what God says, but what we say is right. God comes in and says, no, be poor in spirit. Don't think that you know everything. Let God teach you and show you what is right. And then he says, we should mourn our sin. And we're all says, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. You're not that bad of a person. You didn't kill anyone, right? That's that's the common statement when you hear someone say, "Oh, I'm not. Are you a sinner? No, I'm not. A, I'm not that bad of a person. You sinned, didn't you? Yes, that's a bad person. In God's eyes, at least. Blessed are the meek. The 
however far that we should be strong and we should overflow and we should be powerful and we should do all of those things. But God said, he says, my people are of those things. They can't be weak. What does weak mean? Weak does not mean powerless. Weak means having power under control. There's a difference there. And so when you have power under control, you inherit the earth. Wow. Have you ever thrown up at someone? I'm not looking at anyone. Okay. <laughs> we all have. I didn't mean to start with you, Christine. But uh, we all have done that. <laughs> we all have blown up a little bit, if you will. We've all gotten so angry at someone that we just couldn't take it anymore. And we did that. And Jesus says, no, instead of blowing up, begin to have that power, that control, that anger under control. Hold it tight and boldly. That's what that's what's weakness is. It's holding back and not blowing up. Taking a deep breath and saying, I've got to handle this a different way. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we talk about this word satisfied, it's much like the word blessing. This isn't just a merely, I've had a really good dinner, and say, oh, I'm satisfied, right? I had one of Becky's uh, chocolate chip muffins that are out there. Oh, that means I'm satisfied. No, that... That's not the kind of satisfaction that Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about is a satisfaction. Have you ever been so satisfied? Well, it's just been a really good day. You know, you sit back and you just so, maybe it's your first day of vacation. Maybe it's a, uh, a day when everything seemed to go right and you just are satisfied to the core of who you are. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh my goodness, how many of us want to see God? And if you don't raise your hand, then there's something wrong with you, and I'll come down and start praying for you. But what it says is that in order for us to see God, what do we have to do? We have to be pure in heart. Now let's just pause there for a moment. If you think you're pure in heart, you're not. No one in this room is pure in heart. We could have pure motives, we have, and we could have pure of heart opportunities and moments in our life. But we are human nature, or we are humans in this world that we live in, and human nature tells us that we are sinful people, and so therefore, we seem to always find something to screw it up. I love what Jay was saying earlier today about those who are arguing against whether this is a rebuttal. Who cares? Many people are arguing and judging God and fearing God. Is it a real revival? Yes, yes, I believe it is. But I'm not going to argue whether it's a real revival or not. Why? Because if they're being moved by God, guess what? That's good enough for me. There's no shame in putting to bed the thoughts of making yourself king and making Jesus king. Ultimately, that's what pure in heart means. Is setting aside your pride, setting aside all of the things that you want for yourself, thinking that you know everything and how everything should be and putting Him first instead. Sometimes that means being humble, right? But then we have peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, uh, you know, when we are peacemakers, we're not seeking strife or quarrel. We're not seeking to respond to anger or respond to someone else's anger towards us. We are trying to be peacemakers. When someone comes to you and says, man, I really have a bone to pick with you. Okay. 
How is it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you feel that way. I'm sorry that you, your emotions have, I have allowed your emotions to get to that place. It's okay to be a peacemaker, even in a very difficult situation. God calls us to be peacemakers. And our blessing is that we get to be called sons of God. That's an amazing blessing, by the way. Because if you're a son of God, guess what? You get all the benefits of being a child of God, which means God is your father, which means the blessings that come from him are way more than what we could ever experience here on this earth. And then finally, the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one likes to be persecuted. Again, think about this on the upside down. Jesus is coming and telling you, this is not the way that you've been thinking, the way that all of these thoughts and what you thought was right, and the way that we are going to achieve and win this war, and how we're going to overthrow the government, and how the kingdom is going to work. All of these things, I'm going to turn them all upside down. And I'm going to tell you, this is what happens. And so when you're persecuted, don't think of it as being bad. Think of it as being something good. That means someone is fearful of what you're going to do because they're going to see that God is moving forward in your life. And so the only way they know to overcome that is to persecute you and make you feel bad. That's why when we say, oftentimes when you're being attacked, it's the beginning of a blessing that God's bringing to you. When you feel attacked, when you feel like the devil is attacking you and everything in your life is going wrong, that's usually the beginning of a time that God is about to do something special in your life. Because when he does something special, Satan wants to persecute you and try to get you into a blinded eye hope and say, I'm done, I'm giving it all up, I'm walking away. I don't want to go through this persecution. I don't want to go through this trouble. That's Satan's greatest ploy. So David says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to notice something. The very first thing that Purim steward, the characteristic and the blessing that you get is kingdom of heaven. The very last one in this is being persecuted, and guess what you get? The kingdom of heaven. There's a reason why Jesus promises the kingdom of heaven twice, and this is because what he's saying is that these kingdom principles will bring you into his kingdom. It will bring you into his place. It will bring you into the place where you want to be. See, the truth is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom is right at our hands. We can see amazing things happening. You know, I went to a conference one time talking about hazing, the hazers, I think you said Corey, right? Yeah, haze is where the praise is. You know, one time I went to this conference, and it was an internet conference, and they were chatting all over this wonderful new software and stuff like this, and this company started, and it was so amazing, because at the door, there was this, this cloud of smoke that was coming down, and it was rolling on the ground, but it, was, it wasn't spreading out in here, it was spreading in. And I was, I'm thinking, man, what's going on on the other side of that door? What's going on? If I could just walk through that haze a little bit and see what's going on. And you know, from the outside you heard nothing other than that the sound of the smoke coming down. And as I got up closer to that normal walk and as I walked in, I kind of moved the, the, the fog, the haze away, and I walked in and all of these lights were shining everywhere and there's, there's lasers going on and there's this music pumping. And, and I sat there and I thought to myself, that's kind of like what I think the kingdom of heaven is like. Not that God is a rave, right? He's not sitting there with uh, the lights going on. You know, right? Or as my wife calls us, cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots, right? But 
No, but the, I think it's just like that. It reminds me, this is very simple, this understanding of the Beatitudes, and that's why I'm out here. reminds me of that because I believe that the kingdom of heaven is right here. All we have to do to walk through that door, to walk through that gate, and see the kingdom of God is to follow what Jesus tells us to do. And as we walk through that, guess what? We're going to see amazing things. And when we think of bad things, when we think of being toward toward his bad, God's going to turn it upside down and make it amazing in your life. When you think that you're being treated with his bad, God's going to turn it upside down and make it a beautiful thing. When we think being meek is a bad thing, we should be prideful, we should be strong, we should beat everyone up, and we should put them down. No, God says, no, be meek. And when you're meek, something amazing happens. That's why I think this beatitude, what Jesus is really talking about here, now, I want to talk about this because I think we need to we need to understand what's going on today. And I think what's going on today at Asbury University is very closely tied to what's going on in the kingdom of God today. I was thinking back, like many of you, this past week about what's going on, and I spent a lot of time watching some of the uh, videos and the, the uh, live streams and those types of things. But I instead took a different view of this. I, I said to myself, you know, I want to go back to the very first service. I want to see what that very first service was like. That pause, the beginning, the very beginning of this revival. And so I went back and I... Watched and I actually looked up uh, the pastor that was speaking, and I uh, watched some of his other sermons. But then I watched the one that he gave that night, and I have to tell you now, I I, I walked away from that with some really good joy and hope in my life because honestly, there's nothing wrong with what he said. Everything was great. Was it fantastic? No. It was like the loveliest sermon you could have heard in this very church. Even though Corey says I'm above average, I don't know about that. But it was a regular sermon that you would hear at any other church. He wasn't uh, he wasn't quick with his words. He wasn't a elegant, elegant, eloquent, eloquent speaker. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, he was a neither am I. So that's okay. <laughs> And my job, I, I, I watched and so I'm waiting for that moment when you just, you know, when you feel, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a church service when the pastor just, as a pastor, and Pastor Jeff can confirm this, but as a pastor when you speak and you're preaching, you're waiting for that, you're looking for that one phrase, that one thought, that one moment where you're just going to feel that, and the glory of God's going to fall on the room, right? And everyone's just going to fall to their face, and God's going to be, right? There wasn't any of that. Just a normal church service. And then I watched the worship beforehand. Sorry, Corey, but I watched the sermon before I watched the worship, just to let you know. So, but I watched the worship beforehand, and the worship team was okay. Wasn't great. Wasn't bad. I would actually say that we have above average worship team, and our, and our worship was probably as good, if not better, than what you heard that night. And then I watched after the service. And you know, after the service ended, there's not a moment in time where, where people were allowed to come up to the altars and, and share a little bit or, or pray or do all the, whatever they would do. And for probably about 90%, maybe three quarters of 90% of the um, congregation that night, the students left. Nothing happened. 
before this one young man got up and he walked up to the front of the church and he brought some friends with him. And the story, well, the story, the, the truth, what he just said, is that he came forward just to, because he couldn't deal with the sin of his life anymore. He was living, he was a college student, but he was living in sin. And he was tired of living in sin. He felt the heaviness of the sin weighing on his heart and weighing on his shoulders, and so therefore he needed forgiveness. And so he came forward, and the pastor wasn't even there. The pastor didn't meet him with the elder to pray with him. His friends did. His friends came up and there was a lot fewer of them. They came up to the elder and they began to pray. And this young man began to cry out at this moment and he began to ask the Lord to forgive him of his sins. And he was very, he was very viscerally moved. You could tell that he was moved and there was something going on there. But he was on the edge of his, he looked like he had gone to the bottom of the barrel and he was looking up and saying, there's nowhere else for me to go but for God to come and grab a hold of me and deliver me from this. And what was so moving about this was that in this young man, as he said that the elder just cried out to the Lord to forgive him, you see a group of people that were still there come down to almost like to go pray for the, him. And as they reached out to pray to him, all of a sudden you see them go up to their knees and go before the elder, and they begin to cry out about what was going on in their lives. And you begin to hear these, these rumors of things, and then you see this young lady behind, and there's always one in the crowd, right? But you see this young lady, about three or four pews in, she's just sitting there, she's watching. She's not moving, she's not doing anything. But she goes like this. And she's texted, I don't know how many people she texted, I, mean, I, I can't even guarantee that she was texting, but it sure did look like she was texting some people. About three or four minutes later, you see people start to walk in the door, students. And half an hour to 45 minutes later, you see more kids walking through the door. And then an hour later, the whole entire auditorium is filled with people. Now, when I look at that and I think about that, Corey did share a little bit of my thunder, but that's okay. What I'm blown away about is that it was one average young man was dealing with, nor do, should we care. But it was his average, he was just an average person. I don't even know the young man's name, and he's not allowing anyone to share his name with other people. And the school is not sharing his name with other people. But it was just an average young man who came forward to say, I've had enough of living against God and living in sin, and therefore I'm going to live for him. And he accurately and purposely and wholeheartedly sought after God that night. And because of that, two weeks later, we have thousands, if not more, people who are in line right now to walk into this room to hear and to receive a blessing from God. What's amazing to me is that, again, this was an average service, average worship, average message, but it was a young man who was tired of living an average life, who came forward, got on his knees, repented, and asked the Lord to come. And because of that, we have what we have today. I will tell you that the truth of the matter with this, and most of this is that oftentimes in churches like ours and churches all around the United States, you won't find too, many of that, too much of that happening. Why? Because we have too many other things in our life that we need to go do. Right? 
don't be truthful with ourselves. We hide our pain. We hide our suffering. We hide our sin because Lord knows we don't want someone else to hear what I'm feeling through. We're embarrassed by it. We're embarrassed about being truthful. We're embarrassed about doing all of those things. And so we don't get right with God. We don't come down. We don't share our emotions. And then on top of that, let's be honest. If God asks you to be here all night long, would you? Very first thing in your mind, you might be, well, I'm kind of hungry. Right? Getting close to lunchtime. I got this meeting to go to. I got this. I got to go get bread. Right? I got to do all of those things. See, the problem with this is that, and the reason why I believe, and, and this is just my speculation, but the reason why I believe God starts most revivals with young people is because young people have a different schedule than adults. And they're able to, they don't care about giving up tasks, right? In fact, they would probably like to give up their tasks. They don't have to work that hard. Let's go to church. We're going to have the next church, right? Do you realize the last great move of the Spirit of God in this land was called the Jesus Revival? Happened in the 70s. You You know where that revival started? Asbury College in Kentucky University. Or Kentucky. The same university that's experiencing it today. Does that need to be another move of God? I don't know. I hope so. I pray every day that revival like that is going to occur you know, across all around this land. I've heard of other colleges, Cedarville and other colleges in Ohio and other places around the United States that are experiencing something very similar that's happening right now. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'm just hearing about it secondhand through Facebook and social media and those sorts of things. But what I understand and know more than anything else is that when we humble ourselves and we get right with God, it's, it's infectious. It's contagious. And it will spread. I also understand that if one average person, any of you in this room, could have been that average person that came and started what's happened that day. Now, I don't think that young man did anything other than he wanted to get right with God. I don't think he came forward thinking, I'm going to start a revival in the United States by coming forward and getting down on my knees. No. You know what he cared about? He cared about if I'm living in sin, I'm not following God the way I'm supposed to follow God, and so therefore I need to get right with him, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to get right with God. And whatever happens after that, well, so be it, I don't care. It's an amazing story. What's more amazing to me is that God chose and continues to choose regular people like you and I to do irregular, amazing things. And ask the worship team to come forward. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we find God using people that were not special. Abraham was not special. He became special. Moses was not special. He became special. Keep going through and through and over and over and over again. Look at all the people. Look at the disciples that Jesus chose. Fishermen. Tax collectors. They're not special. A physician. They're not special. They They weren't kings. They weren't queens. They weren't sergeants, although he used Paul. Paul was. But they were regular people who got right with God who decided to have this happen. This is the kingdom, This is how the kingdom of God works. When we humble ourselves and we seek His Spirit and what He has for us, 
before anything else lasts. And we need that, the most important thing. That's when Jesus really moves. When the Holy Spirit falls. Will you stand with me, please? I just want to pray that from this humble place today, when I ask you, can you humble yourself and be real with him? truthful with your faith and repent and seek his kingdom more than anything else, more than anything you might ever want or ever strive to receive. I'm not asking for you to come forward and ask for prayers of healing or prayers for all these things. All of those, there's nothing wrong with those things and that's great. But what Jesus actually is telling us to do in the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with prayerful financial blessings, prayerful this or that or whatever it might be. What it has to do with is getting right with God by repenting and turning away. The word repent means to turn away, to go the opposite direction from the direction you were going. See, I believe that when we as humble people humble ourselves and we repent and turn away from our sin, that, that is when real revival will begin. When we seek God more than than we seek anything else, when we seek Him more than we seek finances, seek Him more than we seek pleasure, pride, all of those things, that's when I think revival really will take over this nation. God invites us to do that at any time. Jesus invited us when he went through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. His offer is yesterday and it still is today. Can you be knit? Can you be poor in spirit? Can you do all of those things and let God seek after you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you will always do in our lives, Lord, when we seek you. And that is climb in and bless us. Lord, I thank you for the revival that's going on at Asbury. I thank you for the movement that you are done in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives and across what you're doing in this wonderful nation of ours, Father, and across the world today. But Lord, I pray, may we continue, Father. May it also be in us. May we also seek repentance and turning away of our sins to seek you more than we seek anything else. May we be poor in spirit, so much so that our only way to turn is towards you, Father. May you come down to this place and meet us in our time of need. Let us be humble people. The words you think, if you will, would seek you greater more than anything else. Might be the seeds of what you're about to do in our nation and in our country, and not even just in our nation, but in this area, Father, in our lives, in our family lives, in our communities here. May you move like you are moving there, Father like you have moved over the years past. It starts with us actively seeking you 
for the resurrection that was here where that cannot hold my mind of never giving their life to Christ it always and it must start with us seeking him by asking forgiveness of our sins by repenting but that means us turning away whether we've asked this prayer and said this prayer of salvation before or not it all begins with repenting it all begins with turning away from our sin and turning towards God so Lord forgive us of our sins come into our hearts let us seek you first like only you deserve to be sought after we love you Lord help us this day to serve you in Jesus name we pray amen let's worship together Walk in that weakness, walk in that poor spirit. Walk 